just remember this intense feeling. There was a magazine, like a hello magazine on, on her bedside cabinet. I just remember not understanding what a magazine was or being able to read it. And, and kind of a voice in my head kind of going, ooh, ooh, this is strange, this is not good. And I had this kind of internal monologue of, okay, something's not right, okay, okay, let's head down the stairs, okay, okay. And I got myself down the stairs, sat on a chair, at which point I, I wet myself and I just, I kind of just felt, I thought I was going to die. I woke up, my face was sheet white, I looked very unwell. I felt very unwell. My face was dripping. My voice was very slurry. And I felt like almost paralyzed down this one side, but it was all put down to heat stroke. Everyone was reverse engineering this into heat stroke because the truth of it would have been too harrowing. You know, someone would have had to have taken me to the hospital. Everyone was on holiday. You know, it was better that I had heat stroke and I could just stay in my room. So I went to my doctor, sent me off for MRI scans. That was fine. I took a few weeks off work because I was unwell and unable to work and the results didn't come back from the doctor. This went on for a few weeks of me ringing, you know, I got a scan, are there any results, any results, any results? And it, all, it was always no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing. So I thought, right, I need to get back to work because I just bought a house. It was like the most eventful year of my life. I look back at that time and I couldn't almost cry for the girl I was trying to figure this out. I remember going to Waterstones and buying all the time management books. I couldn't understand time and I still don't really. I have to use a lot of, you know, I use these productivity sheets to, you know, what's the one thing I need to do today and just get that done. Maybe if there's two others. I use the Pomodoro technique, you know, 25 minutes per task. I have everything on Evernote, you know, I have to be ruthlessly organized to reduce that cognitive load so that I can, you know, do what I have to do. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. About a quarter of all ischemic strokes are classed as cryptogenic, and that means that doctors couldn't find one distinguishable cause of the stroke. Treatments for cryptogenic strokes include standard physical and occupational therapies, as well as adjustments to lifestyle. In this episode, we hear from Catherine Davis from Derry, who suffered a stroke at the age of 33. Before the strokes, I was a television producer. So I worked in London for the BBC, mostly, for about 10 years. So I was a producer on everything from Tomorrow's World, Blue Peter, Top of the Pops. I was making a big show for the BBC and Discovery. It was a, a co-production and it was, you know, big genre busting documentaries. I did one on Hitler and one on Nostradamus. So they were, you know, big budgets, a lot of green screen, a lot of traveling. You know, I spent about a month around France and Germany, you know, going Nuremberg and, and down to where Nostradamus was born. And they were tough shows. And anybody working in, in television knows, you know, it's not the glamorous, well-paid, you know, easy kind of route that a lot of students think, you know, oh, I don't want to be a doctor, I don't want to be this, I don't want to be that. Oh, well, go into media. You know, it's very tough and it can burn you out. And at the time, I just, I loved my job and I didn't have 
friends back in Derry because they were mostly in, in London and didn't have a boyfriend, all that kind of stuff. So I just worked. I was just working, 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 working. And as the budgets shrunk, I began to personally subsidize that production. I was working 100 hour weeks, some weeks, most weeks, actually. And because with the co-production and you know, National Geographic and Discovery, they tend to come online at you know four or five o'clock in the evening. So when most people will be wrapping up, I was kind of finishing my full day with the UK production element and then starting up the US bit. So I would often be working right through to midnight, sometimes two and three in the morning. And I remember a few times I was like, what's the point of going home? I'll just sleep on the sofa here. You know, it was it was it was tough, lonely production. And I got it delivered, hadn't taken a day off the best part of a year. And I went on holiday with my family. And for the first time, just kind of relaxed, stopped drinking the vast amounts of coffee and, you know, stimulants and, you know, whatever kind of wake up pills I was taking and relaxed on holiday. And on the third day of the holiday, I just hit the deck and and didn't know what it was at all. I knew something absolutely catastrophic was happening to me, but I, I didn't think it was a stroke. So... On holiday, sunny Portugal, surrounded by my family, sitting by the pool, first day off in almost a year, living my best life. Bought a book at the airport. I got meditate, you know, Marcus Aurelius meditation. So I'm reading that and I'm listening to my music and the battery has gone on my phone. I was like, oh, I need to find a charger. So I got up, you know, headed in from the sun and started looking for the nearest you know phone charger and there was none in my room so I headed up the stairs and as I went into it was a family holiday I went into my cousin's bedroom I just remember this intense feeling there was a magazine like a hello magazine on on her bedside cabinet I just remember not understanding what a magazine was or being able to read it. And, and kind of a voice in my head kind of going, ooh, ooh, this is strange. This is not good. And I had this kind of internal monologue of, okay, something's not right. Okay, okay, let's head down the stairs. Okay, okay. And I got myself down the stairs, sat on a chair, at which point I, I wet myself. And I just, I kind of just felt, I thought I was going to die. And my mum came in. My speech had gone, but I was able to kind of, you know, my, one of my little cousins went and got my mom and she came in and she just sat on the sofa beside me and I just kind of put my head on her shoulder. And a lot of my aunts and uncles, you know, rushed in. They thought I had heat stroke because you would, 33, you know, fit. Why would they think it was a stroke? So I remember they lifted me into a bath and were pouring ice in and running the cold taps. And I went to bed. We didn't, you know, the hospital was so far away. No one thought it was stroke. Everyone thought it was heat stroke. So I was just kind of put in my bed. The next day I woke up, my face was sheet white. I looked very unwell. I felt very unwell. My face was dripping. My voice was very slurry. And I felt like almost paralyzed down this one side. But it was all put down to heat stroke. Everyone was reverse engineering this into heat stroke because the truth of it would have been too harrowing. You know, someone would have had to have taken me to the hospital. Everyone was on holiday. You know, it was better that I had heat stroke and I could just stay in my room. But the day after that, it happened again in a more profound way. And we, we went straight to the hospital. 
Portuguese hospitals are a strange place. I didn't find it the, the friendliest of places. You know, I was trying to explain my symptoms, explain my lifestyle up as best as I could with the slurred speech. And they didn't think it was a stroke either or to test for a stroke. They put it down to, we see this all the time, overworked executives come on holiday and they burn out. And they forcibly injected me, I think, with a muscle relaxant. I was crying, prescribed me a load of blue tablets, lorizepam, some sort of, they just put it down to stress, right, and packed me off. So I was on holiday in Portugal, having just had two strokes, knowing myself deeply that something was wrong and there was no help. After getting home from her holiday in Portugal, Catherine immediately went to see her doctor. I recorded a lot of videos from that time, you know, because my accent was changing. You know, we kind of go a weird American accent at times. And I just couldn't understand anything at all. You know, I went back to try and read. You know, Marcus Aurelius at the best of times is completely impenetrable, you know. But you want to try reading that after you've just had two strokes. It's like, oh dear. So I went to my doctor, sent me off for MRI scans. That was fine. I took a few weeks off work because I was unwell and unable to work. And the results didn't come back from the doctor. This went on for a few weeks of me ringing. You know, I got a scan. Are there any results? Any results? Any results? And I it was always, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing, no, nothing. So I thought, right, I need to get back to work because I just bought a house. It was like the most eventful year of my life. I got a puppy, had the two strokes, bought this house. And the next day met my now husband. So there was a lot going on. Hey, it was like a really busy time. So I was ringing the doctor, also forgetting to ring the doctor because I couldn't manage my own life. Things were confusing me. You know, application forms were coming in, even for something as simple as a, you know, a loyalty card. Eventually the doctor says, look, nothing has come back. I'm sure it's fine. They would have written back to us if they had found anything. So I thought, okay, um, so, you know, what do we think it is? You know, maybe I have a brain tumour, maybe I have some kind of rare thing. You know, there was definitely something going on. So trying to understand what was going on, got, it got very hard and very tiring. You know, I was sleeping round the clock. You know, I could sleep 24 hours, more. I could just sleep, 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 sleep. And luckily I did allow myself that time to sleep. But eventually life continues because life just keeps rolling. It doesn't stop. So I was getting nowhere with the doctors. They said I was fine. I was trying to investigate myself, videoing myself, Googling, really and truly searching for answers, trying to understand what might be wrong. So the stroke happened in July. This is all going on over the summer. You know, so we're now into September, October, November, December. So we're like six months on and I am like wrecked I really think you know I think I have cancer I think something terrible I think I'm not long for this world and the strange thing is I look back at that time and I couldn't almost cry for the girl I was trying to figure this out I remember going to Waterstones and buying all the time management books I couldn't understand time and I still don't really. I have to use a lot of, you know, I use these productivity sheets to, you know, what's the one thing I need to do today and just get that done. Maybe if there's two others. I use the Pomodoro technique, you know, 25 minutes per task. I have everything on Evernote, you know, 
I have to be ruthlessly organized to reduce that cognitive load so that I can, you know, do what I have to do. Coming up, Catherine looks back on how the stroke has impacted her life. But it has fueled me to make the absolute best of it now. That, okay, what has happened has happened. Nobody's fault. The upshot is I'm alive and well. And I think I was incredibly lucky because I met my husband, Paul, and there was so much love and happiness around that, that it was healing for me in a way that maybe was even more healing than if I had all the OTs and all the therapies and medications and whatever. It's a cheesy thing, but love heals. And the challenges she experienced with post-stroke fatigue. That tiredness is real. You know, there's a dark side to my recovery and I haven't touched on it, but that fatigue, I was suicidal for a long time. It was only when I gave birth to my first child, which was four years after the stroke, that those suicidal thoughts became a huge problem because now I had a baby, postnatal depression, stroke fatigue still. So that's when I started taking medication, sertraline, and I'm still on it. I may well be on it for the rest of my life. Let's hear how Catherine found out she'd had a stroke almost six months after the initial event. It was December, early December. I got a letter in from the hospital saying, we need to talk to you about your results, come in. So me and my new boyfriend are heading away to Donegal for our first romantic weekend. And I said, look, we'll just swing by the hospital on the way there. I'm sure it's a tick box. They're just going to say, you know, your results are fine. What, you know, we don't know what it was, but clearly you're, you know, you're still alive. See you later. And we went in and it was the neurologist. I sat there and I said, hi, 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 Dr. McCarran. And he was like, oh, right. So you were here and we got the scan. Um, the scans were all lost, right, over the summer. It was on the front page of the newspapers. There was something like 16,000 x-rays and scans were lost. And my scan was one of those scans, which is why I kind of fell through the cracks. So, yeah, the, the, the scans were lost. So he got it up, got it up, pulled it up. And he was like, oh, yes, I can see. And, da, 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 da. and then he just stopped. The air in the room changed. I felt it. My boyfriend took my hand. He felt it. And the neurologist, you know, the color almost drained from his face. And he reverted to this very medicalese speak. Well, I can see actually here we have two infarcts in the left basal ganglia. I can see this one. That one. And I don't know what any of these words are. I do know. But at the time, he, you know, and I just thought, I'm going to let him finish because I think there's an upswing. You know, it's like, there's this, but hey, you're fine. And we were just waiting for the, you're fine, you're fine. And it, it didn't come. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I had to say, have I had a stroke? And the doctor says, yes. And it would appear that there were two instances because I can see the two, the two infarts here. And at that moment, everything simultaneously just crashed onto the floor because I had been working so hard to try and maintain a life, a job, a new relationship. And this was a devastating diagnosis. But the flip side of that, what a relief to finally know what was going on. Holy moly. Okay, 
Now I have something I can go at. I can go after this now. I know what it is now. And with the diagnosis, then the treatment can begin, you know. But with the diagnosis came help. So I immediately got occupational therapy, took a bunch of time, you know, took three months off off work and never returned to work full time after that. You know, I, I, I went down part time got into the business of of healing myself, you know, researching what supplements are good for brain health. What should I be doing for my own health? You know, sleep, probiotics, you know, healthy gut. So I really became a bit of an expert in my own brain after that. The delayed diagnosis and the delayed recovery left me with a lot of questions and a little bit of sadness I wondered in the intervening months, would I have got more better, more well with earlier help? And the answer is I don't know, but it has fueled me to make the absolute best of it now that, okay, what has happened has happened with nobody's fault. The upshot is I'm alive and well. And I think I was incredibly lucky because I met my husband, Paul, and there was so much love and happiness around that, that it was healing for me in a way that maybe was even more healing than if I had all the OTs and all the therapies and medications and whatever. It's a cheesy thing, but love heals. You know, there was a lot of good, even good hormones, you know, a lot of serotonin, a lot of oxytocin. You know, there was a lot of good nurturing brain chemicals going on. And again, with, you know, I got the, the puppy as well. So there was a lot of things in my life that were healing and were comforting that weren't designed from a, you know, a brain health point of view. But looking back, that's what healed me. It was love, really. Here, Catherine gives her advice to stroke survivors and their loved ones. Advice to a stroke survivor just coming out you know, from the diagnosis, kind of trying to find your feet, is go easy on yourself. You are trying to do you know, 10 times as much as anybody else in your recovery with maybe only 5-10% of the energy. You will be tired. You will need sleep. You will need to cry. Grieve whatever bit of your brain that is no longer there or, or working. And just go easy on yourself. Don't expect too much. I'm 11 years post-stroke and I'm not there yet. And I will, you know, never be there yet because it's a continuum. Recovery is a continuum. It is just a gradual process. There are big leaps. You know, I remember the first day I was able to work, you know, for most of the day without taking a nap. I was like, woohoo, you know, that was a good day. So there are moments in recovery that are really great, but it is it is a slow process and accept the help. Before I had the stroke, I was fiercely independent, didn't need help from anybody, totally was doing it all on my own. With the stroke, you know, I was brought to my knees. That part of recovery was one of the most important things for me, was learning to ask for and accept help. So that would be my advice to a stroke survivor is go easy on yourself. Don't expect too much. You know, just very small steps, super, super, super small and talk with other stroke survivors, you know, of a similar age and demographic to you, because everyone is different. Every stroke is different. Every recovery is different. But there are themes, I believe, that run through them 
like tiredness, like the inability of family members to understand what's going on, I think is, is quite common as well. Advice to family members would be don't try to fix it. Don't go in hard trying to fix things. Just listen, be there, hold that space and believe them. If someone tells you they are just desperately exhausted and they just need to, to, to sleep, believe them because that tiredness is real. You know, there's a dark side to my recovery and I haven't touched on it, but that fatigue, I was suicidal for a long time. It was only when I gave birth to my first child, which was four years after the stroke, that those suicidal thoughts became a huge problem because now I had a baby, postnatal depression, stroke fatigue still. So that's when I started taking medication, sertraline, and I'm still on it. I may well be on it for the rest of my life, but it's real. So the families of stroke survivors and their, their nearest and dearest really just need to be there, just need to listen. Don't try and fix it. You know, my family were very well-meaning, but, you know, big Irish family. So they would land in, turn the radio on, turn the TV on, you know, take the curtains down. We got new curtains. Let's put up new curtains. Woo! Here's the baps. Here's the bacon. Get the kettle on. So all of a sudden, my quiet, calm house just turned into like a concert, a cacophony of, of noise coming from all of the machines that they've just turned on and all of their voices and the activity. And things like that don't end well because I just kept saying to mom, mom, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want people here. The curtains can wait. I don't need help. I don't need help. So be there, listen, and don't don't try and solve it because it's not something that can be solved. It is only something that can be supported and helped along. Catherine's stroke came out of the blue and disrupted her career as a television producer. Since then, she's made a remarkable recovery and formed a successful business with clients all over the world. Please subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>